Thank you everyone for joining us today in the Purple Hats conference. Thank you for inviting me. My name is Vicente Diaz. I'm part of the Virusotl team. And today we are going to talk about modern threat hunting. Um, basically, my idea with this presentation is to share some of my learnings from all these years doing threat hunting from one side, also to discuss some interesting techniques that can be used nowadays that I wish I had available like 10 years ago when doing these investigations. And also things that we see from our customers and from some other researchers uh, using our platform that I think are useful just to keep in mind when doing some research, especially threat hunting. So I want to start yes, having a, a couple of words in terms of current attacks just to keep in mind because things have been evolving massively during the last years. And nowadays we are finding a very different, uh, uh, let's say um, scenario than a few years ago, where we are having many groups having generic malware tool sets, which was not the case like, I don't know, 10 years ago where everybody was having different tool sets. Uh, many people is using common TTPs, which is a problem because in theory TTPs are very um, a very good idea in case that attackers are using different tools etc but at some point if all of them are using very similar ones we are like checking every single box from these um, metrics and it's very difficult to distinguish between different groups also these malware less attacks basically when attackers are stealing credentials and they don't really need to do anything sophisticated inside of the big team other than lateral movement and things like that. And finally, we have all these false flags, which these days maybe are not that relevant because one common question from uh, many victims is, well, we, do we really need to know who was attacking us or we really care about this? Uh, as of course, in some institutions and organizations, this is important. In some others, maybe they just want to be safe and the rest, they don't care. But we as threat hunters, well, Obviously, there is an interest for us to understand a little bit more. Um, in these days, there is so much information that at some point this can be a problem, in my opinion, especially when we are sharing without providing the right context. And the more data we have, we could think, well, this is the best. But at some point, this can be a problem just to process all this data and to understand what is this. This is just one example. I took one investigation available in OTX and I saw this domain that I highlighted here in my slides. When checking this in the original research in the paper, this was um, compromised by the attackers for a very specific window of time. So if we are being shared these IOCs with us, should we consider this as malicious or not? What is our policy in this case? What do we know about that? In reality, when we are sharing like a naked IOC, we don't know much more. And what to do with that? What should be our policy? And in many cases, we are getting this by weight, like the more indicators, the better, which is confusing what to do with that, right? And this is one of the problems. We are maybe overwhelmed with so much data that maybe it's not what we are looking for. This also is applicable to our investigations because then there is this snowball effect from this indicator that was wrong or was not properly attributed. 
we keep doing these investigations and jumping into wrong conclusions, which is some of our well, list of small mistakes that we just want to highlight before moving on with this presentation that we see many times. Um, I think it's also worth uh, considering what we are doing and how we are working with all this massive data. What we want to take into account to avoid these mistakes, what we want to at least keep in mind. And I think one of the most interesting things to always keep in mind is that we don't have full visibility. Um, this means that we shouldn't consider what we are seeing in an investigation, that this is the absolute truth. Maybe there are other uh, telemetry that we are not having and we are not considering. And especially if we don't have this full context, it's even more difficult because then we will have yes, partial visibility and not thinking how this can be uh, globally interpreted. Also, uh, quickly jumping into conclusions, as we just said. And also another problem is that there is so much information about actors and everything that at some point is confusing. Yes, because different vendors are using different names for the actors. And sometimes one actor is considered uh, two different actors by a different vendor and these overlaps and differences, uh, it could be complicated as well. So keeping in mind all this complexity, what are the things that we can do for having like a proper investigation and, and to do this threat hunting effectively? Uh, what are the different techniques and what are the different considerations? So this is what we will see in this presentation. And I think the most important one well, I'm not sure if it is the most important one, but for sure one thing that I recommend everybody to do is to always keep monitoring, to always think about monitoring campaigns because I feel like many times uh, companies, they are thinking like, all right, this event happened, this was published, we have the IOCs and we are done. We, we already know everything. So keep in mind this partial visibility, first of all, we don't know everything yet, probably. We know many, many things maybe, but we don't have full visibility. So we don't know what else happened that we are missing. And more importantly, we don't know what will happen. We don't know if this is the end of the campaign unless it's something really old, right? So yes, don't stop like when you have this bunch of indicators of compromise, just keep investigating, just keep monitoring how this is evolving because the impact of a campaign is unclear for how long it will be operating and how this will be evolving is also very important. They are not static. And if they feel like at some point they need to make some changes, they will. That's why we need to keep this monitoring activity uh, for as long as we consider necessary, which is another question like for, for how long, right? Um, another thing to take into consideration for uh, this uh, investigation threat hunting is the power of metadata and other correlations. And here I just want to jump quickly into one example. This is a publication from our colleagues uh, from TAG group, uh, Threat Analysis Group. I will just quickly jump into this publication. This was uh, published like one year ago, uh, how uh, there was this campaign against security researchers. And here I just took one of the indicators of compromise that is given at the end of the publication. And I opened this in VirusTotal. And I just want to quickly check some of these details that we were discussing. Uh, in particular, 
here we can see something interesting. Like if we go to the metadata, uh, we will see that first of all, when we see the copyright is Microsoft Corporation, not corporation, right? And there is also other interesting uh, metadata here. Just let me sign in for a second. Um, there is also other interesting metadata, for instance, that is more common that you will say, like company name is to do company name. Uh, what is important is that we can use all this data to simply pivot and to find other malware that could be suspicious using the same metadata. Like here with just click, we can find other things that can be interesting, which we are not going to do here, obviously, because we are just highlighting how metadata can be used very effectively. And sometimes there are these small mistakes that attackers do when creating their malware that can be used to locate other samples. And as all this data these days is easily, easily pivotable, well, I encourage to everybody to take a look into that and see what kind of metadata can be used for pivoting for additional malware. Um, similarity is one of the most powerful tools we have. Um, here we will have some discussion later about this, but similarity itself basically is finding, well, similar software. And there are so many different algorithms that we can use for that. And every algorithm uh, has advantages and disadvantages. So unfortunately we don't have like a silver bullet, but we can play with different uh, algorithms to see what kind of malware we can find uh, uh, similar to the samples that we are investigating. But this is, um, this is really great um, because it's helping us to find other malware without having much knowledge. And some of the similarities that we can do are actually pretty uh, easy to understand and easy to use for different campaigns. For instance, in this case, um, this is some malware that is asking you to enable content easy understood that this is a macro. And here we can go to different similarities and we can search by visual similarity. In this case, we can search by the icon, but also by the content. So we can find different files that when we check internally, the content and we check the preview, they look exactly the same. So in many cases, this is a very good tool to find if attackers are abusing some particular content to target different victims. And it's especially good for detecting massive distribution of malware, uh, some kind of phishing, etc. So just another very powerful tool that we can use in many different ways these days. Here we have several examples that I think is uh, easily understandable. There are some limitations though. Uh, actually, when analyzing the soundboards backdoor, which was uh, publish well the details by the end of uh, 2020 and some analysis when in 2021 this is actually from secure list uh, there were found some uh, similarities which are basically inside of the code how this is implemented but if you take a look to the code itself you will find nothing unless you are an expert in this group and you understand the way they're using some constants to calculate some functions and to implement some algorithms. So we always need to keep in mind that there are some limitations to similarity and also false positives. It's a useful tool, 
uh, it doesn't mean they are the same group. There will be always, there should always be some additional validation, especially keeping in mind that attackers, in many cases, they know how we are calculating the similarity and how we are using different algorithms for this. So they can simply play with us and make it look like, well, they can force these false flags, as we saw in some cases like Olympic Destroyer. There is also a manual approach for this. If you are like a reverser and you use IDA, there is a plugin that you can use in this case in VirusTotal, but uh, probably there are different alternatives that you can use where basically it will search for similarity in the code. In this case, it will try to kill everything that is dynamic, everything that is like preparing the function and everything. So just getting the interesting part of the code that can be used for searching uh, similarities. You can actually do things like searching by content inside of Aristotle. So you can like search some particular pattern inside of the code that you find interesting and unique, and you can search for it inside of all the database. But obviously you are not limited to Aristotle. You can also use this to create some YAR rule, for instance, and uh, find some other samples that could be suspicious. And actually, generating automatically these error rules is another very powerful tool. And this is just an example how it looks like. So there are pros and cons for this approach. First of all, you need to understand how you are generating this rule. Uh, sometimes the rules automatically generated are a bit, uh, let's call it dirty, uh, difficult to understand. One of the advantages of Yara is that it has a lot of context. So by seeing how the rule looks like, you understand if this rule, how it was created, and what was in the mind of the analyst who created it. With the, and with the automatically generated rules, it's not always the case. And sometimes you don't really understand what is going on. So I would say, first of all, there are different ways to automatically generate these error rules. Some cases, it works better than some other cases. Uh, and I think it's a good first approach to find something that could be used lately uh, for polishing your, your rule. But I wouldn't say, I'm not a big fan of just trusting automatically generated rules because also it heavily depends on the quality of the subset that you're using. Uh, OSIN is something else that we can use. Uh, again, we have a lot of information these days as we were discussing, and this is providing us with uh, some context. We have many alternatives. We have many public resources we can use, like this public uh, year rules. We have uh, Suricata. We have well, uh, many different ways to identify malware, uh, malware verdicts too, etc. Um, sometimes there is this double edge that we are trusting this blindly without really understanding how it was created, why, and if it was properly maintained, which is a very good point because we are working with all of these. We are creating our giant collection of VR rules, but then nobody's looking back and really refreshing them as the malware is evolving. And eventually this can cause false positives as for instance, some families are evolving. And at the same time, some techniques using some families in particular used for detection and uh, classification and later used by, by other different families. This is just one example in Biostotal, I find funny as it's basically matching, I don't know how many publicly available JAR rules. 
so this is one example of, I don't know, the malware matching everything, right? What about TTPs? We discussed before if these can be used, uh, if they are useful. I think they are. I think they are providing some good points. But the point, the, the thing is that, as I said, eventually we will see how they fulfill every single, uh, with time, they fulfill every single um, spot in the metrics. And I think that it's also important to consider at what point in particular we are checking TTPs because they evolve with time. Uh, for every single actor, and also uh, how much we know about this point in particular. Sometimes we have very, very partial information and all the TTPs are based in one single publication that maybe is even suspected of this actor, but still we see the matrix and we already see all these TTPs, right? But there are some important and relevant points of information we can use inside of TTPs, especially if they provide some technical details like uh, Palo Alto with the playbooks that they have. I think they are very interesting. And sometimes we find inside things like the serial number used by certificates, uh, used by attackers. Uh, but checking something like that, we can find many other suspicious samples. We can use this for detection. We can use this for uh, classification. So it's not the rule, uh, sorry, it's not the TTP itself only, it's in combination with the details provided. And having a big enough database, you can see how prevalent is are, are some of these indicators. For instance, things like registry entries, well, some cases like this one here is providing us like 20 million results. Obviously, this is not interesting, but we can find like with some additional tweaks we can find like new malware based on the TTPs. So I highly recommend to check all the technical details. Unfortunately, are not always provided. So I still there is hope for TTPs, but we need to really put some effort. It's not just simply getting generic TTPs or a combination of them. I think it's uh, digging deeper and going into the technical details. So as my time is almost over, I just want to quickly go into some key takeaways from this. I hope this uh, will be basically useful, but um, this is based in our experience, in my personal experience as well. And just uh, how important is having this context, not just this blind data and, and tons of data that at the end of the day is making things even more difficult and confusing. And if we, don't, if we are not careful with the data we are ingesting, it's just creating a problem, a lot of noise, and this snowball effect that then can be even worse for our conclusions. So that's why we need to be careful also with OSINT, how much we trust and double check because sometimes it's partial information, it's not based on solid conclusions. So also we need to really be selective with what we are ingesting. Um, I think it's interesting to keep an eye on small details because techniques these days are allowing us to use that in, um, in, in, well, in many investigations and to find interesting pieces of information. And yeah, I think it's very important, as I said at the beginning, this keep monitoring this uh, continuous checking how things are evolving and how are changing the different ways they have to get their victims because campaigns are not simply static. So all the techniques we use, I encourage everybody to get familiar with them. We just very, very quickly mention them. And I think there is a lot of potential and this is really helping not only to do more effective uh, threat hunting, 
but also to understand better how attackers evolve and how we can monitor all this activity. So having said that, um, thank you very much. I hope this was useful for everyone. And if you have any questions, if you have any doubts, feel free to ping me. Thank you. Thank you.